If you'll recall in Jonah chapter 1, God comes to Jonah, a prophet, and says, I need you to go preach to the city of Nineveh. And Jonah didn't want to. A preacher doesn't want to go preach. A prophet doesn't want to go prophesy. What's the deal? I mean, well, here's what the deal is. He's human. Jonah was human. You know, sometimes it has been likened, you know, for Jonah to go to Nineveh and preach might be like a Jew to go to Nazi Germany to preach. Um, there's a certain sense in us where we make decisions based on our experiences. And, and when people are bad and then something bad happens to them, what do we say? Well, he had it coming to him. Uh, he deserves it. Um, about time something ha- like this happens. That's our natural inclination. We feel that way about situations. We, we want things to be righted and, and justice meted out in that uh, eye-for-eye, tooth-for-tooth mentality sometimes. And so when God calls Jonah and says, Jonah, I want you to go preach to Nineveh, a wicked place, Jonah probably has this notion, I don't want to help them. They're deserving of your discipline. They're wicked, and, and I don't want to go preach to them. And so we know what happened. He went down and, and uh, left Joppa, got on a ship at Joppa, and went toward Tarshish. That's a hard word to say. But he, he headed the, the, the opposite direction from Assyria. And um, we, we know what happens in the story. As he was headed the opposite direction on this ship... Um, God sends a great storm, and the sea is troubled, and the, the sailors on the ship figure, we're, we're in for it. And um, Jonah knows what is happening. He sees that this is not accident. And the captain even came around and said, if any of you guys are religious, you better start praying to your God because things don't look good. Would it not have been embarrassing for Jonah to have had to answer the crew or the captain when he came to him and said, who are you and what are you doing here? Well, I'm a prophet of God, and what I'm doing here is running from the said God. It's an embarrassing position to, to be in as a prophet. Uh, and, and he said, here's what, just throw me overboard and, and everything will be okay. Um, and you'll, you'll, your lives will be saved. Because this whole thing is because of me. God is not letting me run from him. I'm a fugitive, but God is reeling me back in. All right, that's chapter 1. We come to chapter 2. And what happens in chapter 2 is that Jonah runs back to God. You see, God prepared a great fish. And that fish swallowed Jonah after he had been thrown overboard. And by the way, just a side note, have you ever noticed that Jonah in Jonah chapter 1 tells the men on the ship, throw me overboard? Why not do it himself? Why not just jump overboard? Have you ever thought about how sometimes when we do wrong, we often involve other people in our own wrongdoing? We put them on the spot. We risk them in risky behavior. Jonah should have had enough about him just to jump overboard, I feel like. 
but he says, no, you, you all throw me overboard. And, and so he is, and the, the great fish swallows him. And Jonah, for three days and three nights, is in the belly of this fish. And he describes it, the water, the seaweed, the, all this stuff that's going on. And you can only imagine what that must have been like. People will argue and say, well, you know what, um, that just can't happen. We, we can't ha- There's no fish that you could do that in. Uh, the, the, you, you would die in three days. There's no way you could do that and you'd drown or, or the stomach acids would eat you up by then or whatever. God prepared a fish. This is divine activity. This is miraculous. It doesn't have to be explained on natural terms, uh, though it may be able to be explained in natural terms, but God prepared a fish. God took care of Jonah. And I want you to see how sincere or how, you know, dead set Jonah is in not going to Nineveh. Even after he was swallowed by, what would you do if you're thrown over in a tumultuous sea, and then a fish comes, of all things, and gobbles you up, what would you do? Dear Lord, forgive me of all my sins. You know, I'd be praying as fast as I could pray. Listen to the text. Go back to Jonah chapter 1. Look at the very last verse in Jonah 1, and then look at Jonah chapter 2, verse 1. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed. When? He's in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then he prayed. That's hard-headed. Man, that is set in your way. It took him three days and three nights to pray? Is that what we're being told here? He finally comes to his senses and says, God, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm wrong. I I need to do as you bid me to do. And the Lord heard his prayer, and he spoke to the fish, and it spit Jonah up on the shore. So now that brings us to chapter 3, and we see Jonah running with God. Um, Excuse me, in Jonah chapter 3, Jonah basically says, okay, God, what is it that you want me to do? God says, I want you to go to Nineveh, and here's the message that I want you to preach. I want you to tell them that within 40 days, if they do not repent, that they will be destroyed. I want you to preach this message of repentance to them, and Jonah said, all right. And he arrived at that city. It's described as a great city, big place. Thousands of people lived there, and Jonah began preaching. I don't know exactly what he did. I I don't know if he walked around, you know, went over on this street corner, went to the courthouse, you know, went over here. I don't know how he did it, but he began preaching. And his message, the message of God, resonated with these wicked people. The message of God resonated with wicked people. And they tore their clothes They repented in sackcloth and ashes, and God spared them because of his mercy. Jonah was successful as a preacher, and the people listened, 
Don't ever think people are too dirty, too bad, too wicked, too evil to listen to the truth. The truth convicted these people living in Nineveh. That brings us to chapter 4. And in chapter 4, we see Jonah running ahead of God. What we see is Jonah begins to pout. He's really upset. And God says, what are you you upset about? And he said, I'll tell you what I'm upset about. Look at chapter 4, verse 2. He prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was this not what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me. Well, that's pretty brazen. You, to ask God during the time when he actually intervened as directly as he did during a time like that, to say, God, just kill me. Go ahead, I'm so miserable, just kill me. Well, that's what he says. He says, it's better for me to die than to live. Why? Because the people repented. Because these sinners have found grace. You talk about an ugly picture of a prophet, a man who resented God's grace. That's what it was about. That's why he didn't want to go in the first place. Sometimes people say, well, you know, it, it was, he was scared to go. That, that was what was behind it. Well, that may have had something to do with it, but it's not what he said. Jonah said, that's what, the, the reason I left and went the other direction in the first place is because I knew you were a God who was full of loving kindness, you were full of mercy, and, and your anger would relent if people repented. And it was for that reason that I ran, because I knew if I would go there and preach and they repented, you'd forgive them, and I just didn't want it. And here I am, and they've done it, and now I'm just miserable. Just take my life. Kill me. Boy. He sure has run ahead of God here. And I don't know, that's the last we hear about Jonah. I hope Jonah came to his senses. I hope he realized how foolish he was. And God tries to bring that to his attention as he closes out the book. Um, Jonah had more compassion and more concern about a plant than he did all these children who can't even discern their left from the right hand. Little kids. How misappropriate uh, or how, how um, you know, warped is that judgment? But that's, that's the fugitive Jonah. That's basically the story that we have. Jonah running from God. He runs back to God. He runs with God. And then he runs ahead of God. Or if you want to say it a different way, Jonah said, uh, I won't go. Then he said, well, I will go. And then he says, I'm here. And then he thinks, I wish I shouldn't, I wish I wouldn't have gone. Um, So those are two ways you can outline that book. But let's spend the rest of the time here tonight just picking out a few applications. That's the story that we have, but tell me something practical. What can I learn from this that will help me to live for Jesus? There are so many that I can't begin to discuss them all, but I did pick a few that I would like to just bring to your attention. First one is this, and it goes along with the theme of the year. Our theme is we need to have a mind to work. Um, Don't run from hard duty. 
when things get difficult, when things get hard, don't give up and quit. God needs us to work. It was not going to be easy for Jonah to go to Assyria and, and to Nineveh and to preach to those people. It would be a very difficult task, but he needed to do it. It's what God asked him to do. Don't run as a Christian from difficult duty. What, what do we have to do? Well, we've been given the task of evangelizing the lost. We've been given the task of, of showing compassion to people who are in need. Uh, we've been given the task to reach out to the outcast, to the unloved of society, to those that everybody else has kind of turned their back on. It was those, those are the people to whom Jesus came. He said, those who have everything together, they don't need a save. I came for those who are sick. And where did you see Jesus constantly? He was, he was with difficult people, messy situations that take a lot of work, a lot of patience, a lot of long-suffering, a lot of teaching. That's hard work. It's easier to brush people aside and not have to deal with them. As a church, it's easier to, to let's just reach out. to and, and you see this in urban settings where churches have targets. They, they, they target a segment of society. We want, you know, young professionals. We want to be a church that caters to young professionals. Do you see Jesus ever picking a class of people to, to cater to? Or did Jesus reach out to all men? And had he picked a class of people, do you think he would have gone after the rich, the, the um, urbane, the, those who are young professional? I, I don't think that probably would have been it. I think he would have been down there with the common man, the man whose life is a mess in sin, who needs a Savior. Don't run from difficult duties. We have work to be done here in this community. Some of it's hard. It means getting involved in people's lives that will take time, that will be inconvenient. Don't give up. Don't quit. That's what God calls us to do. Second thing that I can see from this story is that God can bring good from the worst of circumstances. Jonah has done wrong. Plan A was do what I said, go to Nineveh and preach. He didn't do it. So does God have a plan B? Well, yeah. Because look at chapter 1 and look at the very end, verse 16. After Jonah is thrown in the sea, these guys were scared. They had seen the power of God. And Jonah told them, this is all happening because I'm running and it's my God that is doing all this. And when they throw him overboard, everything gets calm. But listen, then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. These men were touched by Jonah's God. They saw his power. Even in the midst of Jonah's rebellion, they saw a, a glimpse of God and it drove them to worship and to make vows. God has... You know, you can't mess it up enough for God not to redeem. I've met people who feel like, man, I have made such mistakes with my life. I have made such poor choices that I am useless 
to God. He cannot use my life in any way. I am ashamed of myself. My family's ashamed of me. My friends don't respect me. There's nothing that I can do wrong. There is something you can do. You, when you say God can't use me anymore, you're limiting the God you serve. God took a runaway preacher and brought glory to himself and caused men to fear and to worship. God can bring bad things from good, or good things from bad situations. Here's the third thing. God hears the prayers of the penitent. These people were wicked. That's why God sent Jonah in the first place. He was to the point where he said, I'm going to destroy them. That's how bad they were. But when they prayed, God heard. Have you ever felt too ashamed to pray? I've done this too many times. I can't expect God to forgive me again. I mean, I've prayed about this time and time and time again, and I keep slipping up. I hope I'm doing better, but I still go back to certain things and do or say or think. And now I have to go to God and ask Him to forgive me. And I don't even know if I can bring myself to do it because it just doesn't seem fair for me to say, I did it again, Lord. God hears your prayers. Here are people who are wicked to the point that God says they have to be stopped. And when they pray and reach out to God, God relents in his anger. That's good news, folks. That's the God that we serve. Here's another lesson that I can learn from this book, and that is that preaching God's message is effective. In Jonah chapter 3, Look at what he said. Okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said, I want you to preach the message that I tell you. If we get up and preach and talk about social issues and political issues and and get into all those things and never deal with what God says, There's not power in those other things. The power is in the Word of God. The power to change lives is in the Gospel. You can have opinions about a thousand things, and you can promote those, but those things, if they're not biblical issues, they don't have the power to change souls. They don't have the power to save. You know, right now, there is a gun um, control battle raging in our nation. What are we going to do with guns? Um, Can we not see that the answer to that is not what people need? You can have strong convictions about that, and you can feel and follow those convictions, and you can talk about Second Amendment rights, and you can prove a point, but that's never going to save a soul. There are more important issues to to talk about and to preach than just social issues of the day. The Lord said, Jonah, I want you to preach what I tell you to preach. And, well, Peter said, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. That's what we need to be about. It's the gospel that has the saving power. And if we can't talk about God's word, or if you have to come week after week after week to hear from God at church of all places, 
something's wrong. I know there was a time when the book of the law was lost. And of all places, it was lost and then later found in the house of the Lord. How ironic that the book of God would be lost in his own house. But maybe it's not that strange after all. Because could it be that the book of God is lost in his house today? It's forgotten, shoved aside in a corner, become a relic instead of a tool. Preach the preaching that God bids. And then here's another point. Sometimes preaching needs to be negative. And I put quotation marks around negative because what people deem negative really isn't Is preaching about hell negative? I don't think Jesus wanted to just bum people out. I think he was trying to warn them, to to give them better things, to show them better options. But sometimes we have to talk about unpleasant things, and one of those things is repentance. There have been hundreds of sermons preached on faith, there have been hundreds of sermons preached on baptism. How many sermons have you heard just on repentance? Turn from your wickedness. Stop sinning. We need preaching that calls people to repentance. Doesn't just make them feel good. Doesn't leave them with a, a witty uh, message. But leaves them convicted where they say, I have to change. I have to do something. That's the kind of preaching that we need. Uh, You can term it negative if you want, but I think those kind of messages aren't negative. They may be unpleasant at first, but they bring about positive results. We need preaching that calls for repentance and change lives. And then here's the last point I'll leave you with tonight. And that is, guard your attitude. Jonah, a preacher, a prophet of God, and he's mad because he had a sermon that went over better than anything he could have expected. He had responses down every aisle, and he's mad because people responded. He had a sour, sour attitude. Let's make sure that we have the kind of attitude that we should have. Don't ever be angry, disappointed with, judgmental of the grace of God. If God chooses to be gracious, let him be gracious. Don't take issue with God's grace.